Testing one. There we go. Praise the Lord again. Amen. Amen. Oh, what a joy to be in this place this morning, be a part of this service. Let me ask you if you would, we're looking at Matthew chapter 26 uh, is where we'll be today, and we'll kind of be there uh, the whole time. <clears throat> if you'll permit me, I'd like to do a little different uh, today, and for the next few weeks, we normally go through a book of the Bible and normally just take it uh, phrase upon phrase and go through, but uh, between now and Easter, I want to I wanna just vary from that a little bit, and I want to just preach on the people of Easter for the next eight weeks. Uh, we'll start out today in Matthew 26 talking about Peter, uh, and then we'll talk about Judas, we'll talk about Simon of Serene, Barabbas, Mary, Malchus, and a couple of more in there too, but uh, that's for the next eight weeks, and then we'll get back in our regular Bible study. Everything we do, though, is coming right out of the Bible, just a little bit different. I know some of you are expositional, you want that only, and I, I love that, that's what I usually do, but bear with me just for the next few weeks. I'm thinking to myself, how does a guy that's been three and a half years with our Lord, that's had mid-morning donuts and coffee with him for three and a half years, had supper, and then after supper he's had afterglow fellowship time with the Lord, how does he go to a place where he's there with the Lord for three and a half years and come to a place where he denies the Lord three times? How do you do that? Well, let me tell you, most of the time, it's not in a uh, just like that fashion. People will say, hey, I miss so-and-so at church. And, and, uh, and, and they say, well, they just dropped out. Most of the time, that's not true. Most of the time, they edged out. They just gradually slipped out. And uh, so Peter was at, I think there's some lessons here that we can learn from it. And I'll not read the scripture. I'll just go through it beginning in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 26. Uh, and we'll just kind of read it along as we go. Uh, I want you to know, first of all, Peter was a self-confident and conceited man. He was very self-confident. Uh, by nature, he was a man of words and often his words were his downfall. Can I get a witness? Amen. That fits several of us in this room here. Our words are usually our biggest uh, problem. We're our biggest enemy. But uh, Jesus, beginning in verse 31, the Bible says, He said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. Now, somewhere I missed that for years. I, we don't want to blame Peter because he denied the Lord, but Jesus is already telling them, Every one of you guys here are going to deny me. You're all going to scatter. It's not just Peter. Uh, so so he's, he's telling them what's going to happen. He's making his way toward the cross, and he's trying to get his chosen disciples to just get a little thought of his mind of what he's trying to do. Uh, I, I, I can just imagine that and feel that. I, I do the same thing with our staff here. I tried for years. I've tried to say, look, you, you're an arm of me. I believe that. The pastor's the pastor of the church. We wouldn't have a music director if I could do the music. I just can't do it. Can't do it all. We wouldn't have a youth director. We wouldn't have a children's director. I'd do it all. I'm the pastor of the church. But these other staff members are arms of me. And I say, you think like I would try to think. And that's what blows their mind. I mean, they just literally, they just take their own pills after that from, the, from then on. But, but uh, that's what Jesus is trying to get these disciples to understand. Look, this is the direction I'm going in. And I want you guys to be prepared. I want you to understand what 
the cross is all about and what the resurrection is going to be all about. So Peter, when Jesus tells him that, he says in verse 33, uh, though everybody here may be offended and they all leave you, I'm not going to. You can count on me, Lord. I understand old James over there. He ain't really no real good disciple. He don't pray like he ought to. He ain't even carried his Bible to church. He's been looking at the screen. I understand he'll leave you, but not me, Lord. You can count on me. I'm going to be there. And so he goes on, and the Lord says, Peter, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's all vain boasting. Uh, and I, I want to just tell you this right quick, too. When you're in trouble... And you go to somebody, and they say, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. That's when you need to get up and walk off. That's when you need to walk off. Because I want to tell you something. You don't know what you'd do. Until you get in that situation, you don't know what you'd do. And I'm not sure you'd do the same thing the second time you got in the situation as you did the first time you got in it. But I can tell you, Peter says, hey, I know what I'll do. The Lord says, you don't know, Peter. You're boasting. You're boasting. And before the rooster crows tonight... You're going to deny me three times. So here's Peter. Jesus is explaining what's going to happen. Peter stands up. Oh, <laughs> Lord, not me. I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you. And then the Bible says that they left there uh, to a place called Gethsemane in verse 36. And he said to the disciples, you sit here while I go pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. Now, Peter and James and John were like the inner circle of Jesus. They got to see some things that no other disciples got to see. And so here he says, you disciples wait here. Peter, you, you and James and John, you all come on with me, and we're going on a little further. And then he tells them, you stop, watch and pray right here. I'm going a little further. Well, we know what happened. He comes back an hour later. They're all asleep. And he wakes them up, and, and couldn't you watch and pray one hour? And then he goes back again. He comes back the second time. They're all asleep. Could you not watch and pray one hour? He goes, does it again the third time, and then he comes back, and uh, he says, guys, y'all just sleep on. The hour has come that I'm going to be handed over to the hands of sinners. Now, Peter is in a place of honor. He's in a place of favor. He wasn't left back with the other disciples out there on the outer edge. He came in closer with Jesus. He's in a place of honor. These men were like no other men that have ever lived here. But even in the place of honor, he's still human and he's in the flesh. Listen, I don't care how big a place of honor you think you got. You better never forget that you're still human and you're still in the flesh. And we all need to have the same example as John the Baptist when he said, Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. I'm nothing without you, God, nothing. So it was one thing for James and John to snooze. It was something else for the disciples to snooze. But just a few minutes before, Peter has stood up and said, Lord, I'm, you can count on me. You can count on me. I'm there. He shouldn't have been snoozing. We're all still in the flesh. Becky and I have a friend uh, many years ago. A pulpit committee came to hear me, uh, and uh, it was one of those times. It don't, and it's not always like this. Most of the time, it's not like this. But pulpit committee, if you're here today, there'll be people who congratulate you and buy you dinner and want you to, you know, do everything you can to get me out of here. But anyway, this church, uh, they, they found out about it, and they, that night, 
one of the men stood up and said, Brother Charles, I just want you to know we love you. And if you do go to that other church in Beaumont, we're going with you. We love you. Three weeks later, he's ticked off and left. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, Lord, you count on me. But three weeks later, we're gone. Yeah, three weeks later, we're gone. He's still human, and he's still in the flesh. And, but now listen, I believe that Peter believed every word he said. I don't think he was just running his mouth. I think Peter really believed, Lord, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to die with you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to be with you. So now the Lord's told them his plan, but they failed to watch and pray. Now let me tell you, let me show you what happens when you fail to watch and pray. You, you slide from God's plan down to where you fail to watch and pray, and then you hit this category of losing communion with the Savior. Hmm. See, you, you lose the, the communion that you've got with the Father because you're watching and praying you're not watching and praying like he said do. So you begin to lose the fellowship and you believe, begin to lose the, the communion. Now, what happens when you know this is what the Lord wants, but you've not watched and prayed, and so now you're kind of out here a little bit and you've lost the real fellowship with the Lord? What happens? You begin to do what the Old Testament guys did. They did what was right in their own eyes. You begin to do your plan and not God's plan. Mm. And so he did his plan. Verse 51 says, one of them which was with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword. That's Peter. Struck a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Mm. Now, I want to reiterate again. Old Peter's ready to go to battle. He's ready to win them right here or else get beat one. He's sincere. He done whooped out his sword. But you see, he's doing his plan and not God's plan because he wasn't watching and praying. And so now he's doing what he thinks is right. And, of course, Jesus put the ear back on. You know, that had to be an eye-opener thing. I mean, you know, if I was one of those soldiers and I was on the enemy side and I came to a man to arrest him, and he reaches down and takes one of my fellow soldiers' ears and got blood all over it and puts it back on his head and everything's fine. I think I'd probably stop and say, whoa, guys, we may be looking at the wrong guy. <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, from, from my standpoint. But anyway, he's ready to go to war with him right now. But the problem is Jesus is not building an army of killers. He's building an army of people that would give their life rather than take life. I have a problem with this. Just shoot straight with you. I, I really do. To me, where we are in America today, I say let's get our guns. And anybody that won't swear allegiance to the word of God and to the Bible and to God, blow their brains out and ship them home. Now... Yeah, I see. Y'all got the same problem I got. But that's not what God said. See, some of these people out here that don't know what's going on, they're in that situation. And when they get at the end of their rope, they need somewhere where they can turn to where somebody says, hey, I once was just like you, but Jesus saved me. And so come on in here and get saved and be part of the family of God. God is raising up a church that will give life instead of giving death. Amen. 
That's God's plan. But see, when you're not watching and praying, and you're not communion with the Father, then you begin to do what you want to do. And then when you get out of communion, you follow afar off. Nobody is going to accuse Peter of not following Jesus. If I had a nickel every time somebody said, Preacher, just want you to know I'm behind you. I always say, how far? <laughs> how far behind are you? See, there are a lot of folk here that this is, this is cut to chase. A lot of folk in this place this morning that are following Jesus, but we're following afar off. We don't want to get too close to him in case somebody falls on Jesus. We can say, ooh, I, I didn't see that. That's not me. He's out of communion, and he follows afar off. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another to provoke each other to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That day approaching is the Lord's return. Folks, he's coming back. The good news is he came the first time. This world didn't need a leader the first time. This world didn't need a king the first time. What if you'd have had a king and still been condemned to hell? What good would that do you? What this world needed was a redeemer. And that's what Jesus came to do. Now the second time, that's when we can bring out our machine guns. That's when we can line up behind him in battle. He's going to rule this world. That's the next time. When you're out of communion... You begin to slip out. He exits in verse 56. All this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. When you break down those words, all, all is both individually and collectively. What I'm meaning is this church all together, we're saying we want to serve God. We want to win this world to Jesus. But there'll come a time when you'll have to decide that yourself individually, collectively. There'll come a time when you'll decide out there in the workforce if you're going to really be the one who's going to tell somebody about Jesus or not. See, we can do it in here collectively, and we're all safe in here. Praise God, let's go. But boy, when it gets out there where we've individually got to do it, it's a whole different ball game. All of them. And then he said forsook. That means to give up. That means to abandon, to be destitute. And then the word is fled. Now, that's fleeing in order to seek safety for one's safe, oneself. And the Greek word there does not mean that he kind of sold it. He, he shot out like a bolt of lightning. He's getting out of there. He's got some heartbreaking expectations. Uh I better quit. I'm going to get in trouble. He, he fails to, to watch and pray. And then he loses communion with the Father. And then he becomes a spectator. And, folk, I, I want to tell you, we're too near home to have spectators in this place. We're participators. This choir... Oh, man, I thank God for this choir. Man, when, in a day when a lot of people are shutting choirs down, <laughs> I'm saying, if you're sitting out here and you can sing in the choir, you ought to be ashamed you're not up here. 
I mean, I, I, I want to see this whole thing full. All of it running over. You say, what are we going to do then? We'll build a bigger choir loft. We'll do it. This is not a spectator sport. We're not looking at somebody putting on a performance. It's the real thing. And Peter becomes a spectator here. He's all by himself. And he, 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 he's following there. And then, you know, he, he's uh, there. And this woman comes and she says, uh, aren't, aren't, aren't you one of them? Oh, no, not I. Mm -mm. And then another one comes in. Aren't you one of them? No, oh, no, 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 not I. And the third time they come, he said, I know you're a Galilean. And you're one of them. And he began to curse, and that's when he ran out. But before he ran out, two things happened. First of all, the rooster crowed. <laughs> Don't you know that every time Peter heard a rooster crow for the rest of his life, this whole thing went through his mind again? But that's not the only thing that happened. The Bible says that Jesus looked at him. He didn't say a word. He just looked. I would think that probably every night when Peter laid his head down on the pillow to try to go to sleep, he saw those eyes looking at him. Lord, I'm not going to leave you. You can count on me. But he's not watching and praying. And then he has slipped down more. He's not communion. And then he becomes a spectator until finally... He's warming his hands at the enemy's fire. Mm. How, how do you go from up there to the place where you're at the enemy's fire? The enemy, of course, today we would count as the world. And I, I'm not going to get on that. I don't need to get on that. God's already got on that enough. I'm just telling you this, if you love something more than you love the Lord, you, you're done tied up with the world. Amen. And the enemy is the world. The Lord looked, verse 61 says, looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Mm. Wow. He goes all the way from being in fellowship to warming by the enemy's fire. D.L. Moody, great preacher of the 19th century visited a prison called the tombs to preach to inmates and after he had preached he went around cell to cell and just asked one simple question what, what brought you here he wasn't trying to be ugly or anything he said what, what are you here for what brought you here Moody said he went all over that prison and he heard things like I don't deserve to be here they framed me it was a setup I'm trying to get out of here. I don't, you know, I never. And finally, Moody said he'd come upon one man that was just sobbing. And he put his arm around him. And he said, sir, what's the problem? He said, my sins are so many that I can't bear it. And Moody said, the one man in that entire prison that I could lead to the Lord, I led him to the Lord. And he said, God took his sin away from him. That's what he'll still do. He still does that today. Then Peter takes one more step. He becomes a sobber. Bible says he left and wept bitterly. 
wept bitterly. A lot of ravaging repercussions when you're going to walk away from a night like that. The idea of Peter going out is, as I mentioned, like a burst of sudden lightning. The Lord had tried to warn his disciples. Peter's emotions were swirling back and forth. He's got to get out of this place. And then he wept bitterly. Now here's the, the good news this morning. Peter gets restored. <laughs> I don't want you to leave here thinking it's all doom and gloom. That's the pathway down there. And I want to tell you, some of y'all are on that pathway. Some of you are to that point where you're not watching and praying. We've got two sons. One of them this morning is on staff here. He's got a group down mission, doing a mission trip, and I praise God for him. But you listen to me. Just because he's serving the Lord today don't mean he's going to serve the Lord tomorrow. Just because your kids are all right with God today don't mean they're all right tomorrow. We've got to watch and pray. We've got to pray, oh, God, build a hedge of protection around them. We've got to continue to pray. And then he is restored. Let me just close with four things here to put it practically where we are. How do you get from worshiping the Lord and so close fellowship to the place where you've denied the Lord and you've run out? Well, there are four things here that I think is missing. One is a lack of planning ahead. Lack of planning ahead. Now, Jesus is trying to teach these disciples what's going to happen. And yet, when we read this illustration here out of Matthew, and again in Luke, the same thing in this 22nd chapter, it's like they're caught off surprised. They don't understand it. They've not planned ahead. They've not thought. They, they believe the master is real, that, but they don't understand the reference here to a traitor at the supper and the institution of the Lord's Supper and the farewell address and the announcement concerning their own frailty and then the, the trumpet call rep repealing to battle. There's no doubt they were being warned, but they act like they're surprised. And the fact that the three disciples are asleep in the garden will tell me that they're not ready for battle. If they had a feared battle, they would have been planning ahead. They'd have never gone to sleep. They didn't know what was coming. We can't plan ahead for everything, but I'll tell you, we ought to, we, I, and I'm not taking, talking about looking for the devil under every rock, but I'm going to tell you, he's under every rock. He'll do everything he can to destroy you, to destroy this church, to destroy your family, to destroy this country. Hmm. Had they just planned ahead, and they knew tonight was the night that Jesus is going to be delivered they could have gone house to house and said, look, you prayer warriors, stay up tonight. Something big going to happen tonight. None of that took place. The second thing, though, was due in part to their perceptions of truth. Perceptions of truth. They didn't understand the doctrine concerning Christ. They believed Jesus to be the master. You remember he was with his disciples, and he said, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, you know, different ones. He said, well, who do you say I am? Peter said, Thou art Christ, Son of the living God. They knew that. He gave them the right answer. They knew all of that. 
But their faith was entwined around a theory that wasn't the master's theory. It was their theory. They were looking for a ruler that was going to come in and rule them. He's looking to be their sacrifice. So they didn't have a clear perception of truth. (laughs) Could I tell you this morning, I'll be honest with you, I believe the Word of God teaches that God is more interested in your holiness than He is in your happiness. And some of us have bought into this deal where God just wants me to be happy. Well, no, God can make you miserable. And we can, I could spend a half a day preaching on that right there. You need to understand the truth of God. The truth is, is that we're here to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes the real problem is, I'm talking to myself, it's more easier for me to glorify God when he's got me backed in a corner not knowing what's going to happen next. When everything's floating smooth and everything's good, I don't really need God a whole lot. Everything's working good. I still follow him afar off. Then thirdly, one of the defects here was, I think, self-ignorance. You think you can stand, you better take heed lest you fall. These guys kind of thought they were a little bit better. They kind of thought they had things under control. They're part of the disciples. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. We've got things under control. We know what that is. But they didn't know how much fear of man was in them. When the men came, it was a whole different ball game. And then let me give you the last thing here. The cause of weakness in the disciples was their inexperience. I'm looking at uh, a great generation in this congregation. Those of you who fought in World War II and came out of that and built one of the greatest societies that the world has ever known. But even in the midst of all that, I've never been in battle before except with Baptist. I've not been in real battle, but they tell me that you can have your suit, you can have your gun, you can have your ammunition, you can have your certificate of appreciation and achievement that you've gone through boot camp. But when you get in a battle, things totally change. Some of you school teachers can verify that. You got educated and you knew just what to do until you got there. You found out that the students don't necessarily follow what the book says they'll follow. Frederick the Great was probably one of the greatest, the greatest military man there was. History shows that on his first battle, as he was running toward the enemy, he got scared and turned around and ran as hard as he could against them to the back of the line. You say, preacher, what what are you telling me? I'm just telling you this. Maybe you're here this morning and the devil done shook you up and honest to God, you're running as far as you can away from the battle. Ain't nobody going to look down on you. Some of those of you who have run farthest away from the battle are the very ones that can be the hero that God uses in the future. Because God restores. I'll never forget 
when I was nine years old and all the kids are supposed to be gone. If your kids hear this, you just have to explain it to them. Nine years old, I was shooting a 410 and a 12 gauge shotgun squirrel hunting. We didn't do deer hunting. Daddy didn't think that was right because you set all this stuff up and fed them and all this stuff. We, you, 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 we went squirrel hunting because a squirrel had a running chance. <laughs> and we had to kill him with a 22. And it wasn't no automatic 22. It was a single cock 20, 20, 22. I'll never forget the day when I was nine years old when I finally hit one of them flying fox squirrels. And I saw that dude getting out of the ground. Now, we didn't shoot for just, we, we had chicken and dumplings when we brought in a good squirrel. And there's nothing make dumplings better than a good squirrel, I guarantee you. With the lead or without the lead, doesn't make any difference. <laughs> I'll never forget the day that that uh, squirrel came tumbling down. My daddy took the gun and he took his knife and he put a little notch there in it. And then the next time I killed one, he put another notch in it. And the next time, another notch. Until, man, I had enough notches. I, I was able to, I, I thought I was pretty good. I thought I was pretty good. I was better than when I started, I can tell you that. I didn't use up a box of shells trying to just kill one squirrel. <laughs> what, what I'm telling you is this, church. When you are in the battle and you get the victory, God puts a little notch over there. And the next battle you're in, there's another notch. And we've got some seasoned saints out here that's got notches all up and down their life. And they've stood for the cause of Christ. They've stood for the Word of God. They've stood for the principles of the Bible. And they've not dropped morally. Some of them in this place have been married 50, 60, on up more than that years together. I'm telling you that when God restores us, and we come to the place where we realize we're nothing without him. God calling some of you some, for some things to do. We need helpers. We need laborers. We need people who will work for the glory of God. You say, well, that's why I came to this big church. Y'all got everything going. No, man, they're dropping like flies. We, we need more people. We need to do more for the glory of God. The day's going to come when we can't do anything else. We've got to do everything we can now. You say, well, I'm not equipped. God's not worried with your equipment. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And what God has told you you can do, don't you sit there and lie to him and tell him you can't do it. The problem is not that you can't do it. The problem is you won't do it. And I would just close with this. We just heard it so beautifully sung. Come as you are. Lay down your burdens. Get rid of them. You say, what good will that do? I'll tell you what good that'll do. We're working up toward it. Now, I don't want to get too excited about it now. But because of that resurrection day, that means everything the Lord said is validated and true. And I'm telling you, he'll restore you where you are today. Maybe you don't need restoring. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to know that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I want to tell you right now, there's still room at the cross. Amen. Wash all my sins away. All my sins away. 
Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need a church home. This is not a perfect church. <laughs> I was telling him yesterday, Spurgeon said, a lady came up to him and said, Sir, I, I love your preaching and everything. I join your church, except you're not in a perfect church. And he knew the lady. He said, well, I'll tell you something, lady. When you find the perfect church, don't you join it because you'll ruin it. There is no perfect church, but I want to tell you, I'm looking at some folks who've rolled your sleeves up and said, we're going to go on with God, and we're not backing down. Whatever God needs you to do, would you be willing to do it? Father, thank you this morning, the joy to be in your house to worship you and praise you. I prayed today, God, for people in this congregation that they need to be saved if you were to come right now, they'd be lost for eternity. God, would you save them this very day? There are many in this house today that we'd, we'd, we'd own up and say, we're following you, Lord, but we're just following you far off. God, would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation? Would you just reach down out of heaven and touch us? And remind us that we've got a God who knows everything we've gone through and we can come just like we are. And you'll restore us. Would you have your way? And we'll praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me? Brother Aaron leads us. You come. God's spoken to your heart. Christian.